today we're going to wrap up a series on truth. And just a one-word series was just simply focusing on truth. And we've looked at a couple of different things. We started out this series looking at words about truth out of Romans 16. And it simply shared um, words that spoke about the need to know truth, something that uh, is desperately needed not only in the world but in the hearts of followers of Jesus Christ to know truth. If we know truth, we'll know deception. And it also added um, a warning to steer clear of deceptions. God wants us to live in truth and to know truth and to live that best life possible. Closely related to that is truth that we jumped into out of 2 Timothy 4 the following week. That is truth about recognizing that there are a great deal of people who are more than willing to peddle deception. Why? Because people want to hear what they want to hear. The passage spoke about itchy ears. With all of that wanting to just hear what they want to hear, it's important for people who have been revealed truth or who know truth to share truth. So there was a calling out um, to be truth tellers, to not just say what people want to hear, but to speak truth into their lives and to their situations, again, full of grace and full of truth. And then last week, when Pastor Kathy shared truth from Romans 8 about how it sets us free. It's something sometimes we struggle with when we think about sin and, and what it can do and mean. The reality is um, sin, deception, and slaves. Truth sets you free, liberates you. All you have to do is, is think about that, and if you doubt it, just go out on a highway today and do 120. You'll find out what truth is all about in terms of how doing those things that are wrong can enslave you. And today, um, looking at truth from Romans 1. And in Romans 1, there's truth that is shared that is very clear and very straightforward, very blunt and to the point, and it is powerful. It gives us a direct challenge to once again um, know truth. And in this particular passage, um, to really speak into this thing that I've um, shared periodically and will continue to called um, secular relativism, where our nation really is basing its morality and ethics these days as it embraces it and shares what it purports. And up front, I just have to say this before we get into the passage, that it's going to be unsettling for some people. Unsettling for people here, maybe people who are listening. And it will raise some questions. Questions in your hearts about truth, about living it out. There will be some, I'm sure, that will probably dismiss it. I'm just being honest and forthright. There are some that would look at the passage and feel that maybe it's outdated or irrelevant. 
You know, the reality is um, God's truth is indeed timeless. It exists as truth, and it could never be more relevant than it is today. And so I would issue this challenge to any and all, regardless of where you're at, when you think about truth. Because I believe that everybody really desires to know truth. The problem is sometimes in that search for truth, and I would go back to that Second Timothy passage um, in, in chapter 4, sometimes when we're searching for truth, we only look where we want to look to find it. This morning, I encourage you, if you desire to know truth, real truth, open up your hearts and hear the Word of God. Romans 1, verses 18 to 25. The wrath of God is being revealed against all godlessness and wickedness of men slash women who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what would be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that men slash people are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of an immortal God for images made to look like mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore, God gave them over in their sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie. And worshipped and served created things rather than the Creator who is forever praised. Amen. This is the Word of God. Let it be written on our hearts and lived in our lives. So there's a lot um, in this passage. And it really deals with what I would argue or say is perhaps the greatest battle that we're facing today as human beings. And we are facing a lot of different battles. Is that not true? Satan's waging war for the souls of people. He's ramped it up. But perhaps the greatest one that, that determines where it is that we walk, the choices that we make, the lives that we live has to do with truth. See, what you believe is true is then foundational to your core beliefs. And that then sets in motion the choices that you make. So it's so critical to, to know truth and to understand what truth is because it's so foundational in our hearts and in our lives. And, and Satan is indeed um, ramping it up. It's a constant, ongoing struggle for people to discern and then to live out this thing called truth. That's been um, my experience. That you, that you run into and you encounter people who, who are just weary because of all of the battles, all of the things that are happening, the constant onslaught and the challenges to this thing called 
truth, the Word of God. And I've seen people give up. They're tired of of standing in the trenches and proclaiming and sharing what is real and what is true, the very Word of God. And there are some who who then, um, in terms of giving up, cave in as well. And what they once claimed and what they knew was true then suddenly becomes okay. And there's consent given to things that aren't biblical or aren't true. And I'm really saddened by that. And one of the things that, that people struggle with and that comes out in this text is the reality of what verses 18 to 20 share. And those words are on your screen. There are and there will be consequences from God for those who choose to sin. And I wonder about that. And it says it right here, it's speaking about truth from God. Truth from God. Not, not truth that, again, somebody, an individual would purport or claim like a pastor, but truth from God. And when that happens, then why is there a struggle to believe that there will be consequences from God for those who sin? I I can't square that up in my head. And part of the reason why is because as human beings, there would be no one here, no one listening that wouldn't in some way, shape or form understand, hold to and claim that there are consequences for poor behavior for things that are wrong, especially if it deals with something that you believe is wrong, right? Even if you're jettisoning a lot of truth, when there's something that you claim as true, and this is acceptable and right behavior for you, when somebody does something adverse to that or you perceive as bad behavior, you believe there ought to be consequences. Is that not true? And we see that in the world today, right? Oh, man. We talk about judgment and condemnation. You say something that somebody disagrees with or they believe you shouldn't say, look out. So we know that that's the case. And we know indeed there are real consequences. Again, drive out of the parking lot, go onto the highway. Jack it up. See if you don't see some police lights eventually. Go into a store, take what you want and walk out. Why is it then so hard to believe that a holy and a loving and a just God who says, here's what good behavior is, here's what it means to live a life of truth, won't have consequences for poor behavior? It has everything to do with what we're celebrating on Valentine's Day, love. Why are there consequences for the things that we do? Why is it that God is speaking into that Because he loves us. He loves us because he wants us to get it right. And again, to live the best life possible. So why is it so controversial? Why do people get so upset when you talk about the consequences that come from the hand of God? I don't know. I think some of it has to do with, again, redefining of things. Different understandings about truth, deception. I want to use an example for you, a simple phrase that a a children's song sings about. Jesus loves me. 
What do those words mean to you? Well, the biblical definition of Jesus' love, of God's love, given in his word, is pretty clear. And it is this, that God loves everyone. All sinners, we're all sinners. You know those words, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world, put your name in there. Despite what it is that we do, despite our sin, despite our bad behavior, God loves us. Every single one of them. God loves people we don't love. Because we look at their lives and we think about things that they've done, a mass murderer, a rapist, something like that, and we struggle with that word called love, right? God loves them. There is nobody, nobody here, nobody in all of the world that is exception to that understanding and that truth. Even if we don't adhere to it, it's true. God loves everyone. So the worst of all sinners could stand up and say, Jesus loves me, and that would be right. That would be truth. That's what God says. Here's the problem. See, Jesus loves us. Why? God loves us. Why? To redeem us from our sin. To give us grace. And our cultural definition. Jesus loves me means he loves me and because he does it's okay with any behavior and lifestyle i choose have you ran into that then you haven't been talking to too many people if that's not true you see the part that's jettisoned is the whole redemption See, if if Jesus loves me and he's okay with everything I do, I want to ask you a question. Why did he come and die then? See, there's good reason for it. There's a good reason that God loved you enough to send Jesus to die for you. It has to do with this thing called sin, unholy behavior. So when you look at that cultural definition of, you know what, Jesus loves me, and that means he's tolerant, he's accepting anything and everything that I do, you need to square it up with the word of God. Even the words that we just read would say that's not so. And there are many, many other places. See, the deception spinning of of even a phrase like, Jesus loves me. Is, is at work and in our world. And it absolves, that kind of cultural definition absolves everybody from guilt or from sin. God says something radically different. And he loves us enough to tell us the truth. And the truth is, there, there's no one who has a viable excuse for any sin that they commit. You know, we, we, we're really good 
aren't we, when, when we do something wrong and we can then start to think about it, or maybe even beforehand, we're thinking it through, and we're thinking, is this wrong or is this right? And we go through that process. And a lot of times when we knowingly do something that is wrong, we've already squared it away in our head. And we've got a list of excuses. Here's why I did this, or here's why it's okay, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. The reality is uh, there is not one sin that's acceptable in God's sight. Not one that he speaks truth to. And so when we think about people that are rationalizing or coming up with excuses for sin... We have to realize the truth is, is that they all get washed away by truth and then they get washed away in terms of, of guilt by the blood of Jesus Christ out of God's great love. There, there's a couple of things at work that really have to do with why it is that people can come up with viable excuses for their sin. And if you look at verse 20, again, it's included in there. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, this is, this is really important. His eternal power and divine nature, eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, creation, the living of life, so that people are without excuse. There it is. But I want you to think about those two things that are listed there. The divine power, the eternal power, excuse me, of God and his divine nature. Eternal power. One of the things that's happening and going on today is the understanding that God's word maybe again, I'll use those words, isn't completely irrelevant. And that there are things, and I've had people share that openly with me, followers of Jesus, by the way, that get into the Word of God, and as we're talking about it, I've heard this phrase, well, that's, that's part I don't really accept or I don't like. That's a part of God's Word that I have a problem with. Okay. God's eternal power. We sang a song about it at the start. God alone. And as you get into the passage and you go down into to verses 21 to 23, which we'll do in just a minute, the, the whole understanding is this, that, that God is God. He's the one who sets the rules. He has that power and that authority, that sovereignty. And then his eternal, his, his divine nature, excuse me, God's love is best defined as full of grace and full of truth. That's the essence of who God is. He, he loves in a way that we never can, and he's holy in a way that we never can be, but ought to be striving too. That's his, the essence of God. That's his nature. And those two things... His power and his divine nature are what are called into question by the created, by people. 
again, um, secular relativism, when it doesn't fit, when it's not what I want to choose to believe. God is God and God alone. And His divine nature is far greater and better for us than when we can sit and pick it apart and try to choose what we want to believe and what we don't regarding the love and the holiness of God. So what happens when we read it in this passage? For, all they knew, for although they knew God, they neither glorified Him nor gave thanks to Him. But to think it became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools. Do you like being called a fool? I don't. I don't think anybody does. But the reality is this. Um, wisdom gives way to foolishness when truth is abandoned. That's what that passage is speaking about. And I, I have to clarify, um, intellect is not the same thing as wisdom. And we make that mistake in our culture. We call people who are really smart wise. And they might be, but they might not be. I had a father-in-law that I considered to be the wisest man on the face of the earth that I knew. It had nothing to do with intellect. He was a smart guy. Had an eighth grade education. But he was the wisest man I knew because his heart was with God. And you get into Proverbs 1-7 and it defines what wisdom is for us. Wisdom is, is fearing, coming with awe and reverence before the great Lord our God. And if we have awe and reverence, what will we do? We'll follow and we'll obey. See, we'll recognize His holiness. That's what wisdom is about. Another great passage to, to sort through that and thinking about the intellect of man and the wisdom of man. Go to 1 Corinthians 1, verses 18 to 25. Read those verses. And we'll speak into it a little bit more. And, and it deals with the truth that we're seeing here. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools. Anytime we let go of truth and we let deception enter in, that's exactly what's happening. Again, nobody wants to be called a fool. If I were to address you and call you out on the street and say something like that, things would not go well for me. And justifiably so. But, but I want you to think about what that's saying in the living of life and about knowing truth and about living and claiming truth. And when I say that word, I'm not speaking about what people purport to be true. I'm speaking about what God reveals as truth, His truth. Why? Because He's the one who calls the shots. He is God alone. He has that eternal power. And His divine nature is such that He's not going to lie to me because He loves me unconditionally. And He's full of grace and He's full of truth.
And yet there's that struggle with the great deceiver and things happen. Even the best sometimes get deceived. And then these words happen. Therefore God gave them over in the sinful desires of their heart to sexual impurity to the grading of their bodies with one another. Um, that's fleshed out a little bit more in verses 26 to 28. The one thing that I would share when you read those words there, sexual impurity is an all-inclusive um, statement about sexual behavior. So there's, it, it includes adultery, which is um, sex outside of marriage, the breaking of your vows. It includes immorality, which is sex, period, without the bounds of marriage. And then, of course, homosexuality, which it gets into more. Exchanging of, of truth of God for a lie. And worshiping and serving created things rather than the creator. The reason that I believe that um, that verse 24 is there and, and, and the sexual impurity is being singled out is simply because that was a real problem in Roman culture. And he's writing this book of truth at the time to the Romans, but he's also writing it to us. It's a real problem today. And there's a lot of deception going on um, about what is real and what is true and a lot of emotions. I, I remember um, being a delegate to a general synod. That's the Reformed Church's annual gathering and there's polity set there and there's a lot of discussion and we were discussing the very thing that um, as we sit and worship is going to cause the RCA to implode. And that is, what does Scripture say about marriage? Is it between a man and a woman, or is it same-sex marriage? And, of course, closely related to that is the issue of homosexuality. And I remember being on the floor of General Synod, and, and something happened that changed the temperature in the room. And it's something that we know about and that impacts us as well. And that is there were people who spoke and spoke with great emotion. And there was crying and there were tears. And you could sense this wave of emotion going through the room. It affected people. And it impacted their decision. See, the reason that it is so important to get it right is for that very reason. That what we choose to believe and live out will impact people. It will make a difference. And God says, I don't want you to, in this particular issue especially, I don't want you to exchange the truth of God for a lie. I want you to understand what is real and, and what is true. And he goes into great depth about that. And he speaks to it in verses 26 to 28, really clear. 
and a hard thing, isn't it? I don't know if there's any one of us who are gathered in this sanctuary or listening online that haven't been impacted and haven't had some kind of conversation or had somebody that they know and they care about that hasn't went down the road or is condoning. And I would say that so the acculturation, verse 32 speaks about that, giving consent to practices that God says are unholy. I don't know if there's anybody who hasn't ran into that or maybe has, has wrestled with it because it's so prevalent in our world today. This issue and deception that homosexuality is okay. That's just one of many sins that we choose to somehow um, think is all right. I, I, I talked about and shared truth about lying and gossiping before, bearing false witness. You know, overwhelming majority of Americans think it's okay to lie. I hope you're not included. God speaks truth about that, just as he does sexual impurity and everything that that means. So the call is to be wise and to hold tight to truth, to not exchange the truth of God for a lie, and to worship the created rather than the creator. I want you to think about that part of it for just a moment. See, what really happens when we're willing to say, when it comes to God's word, and, and I'm going to use a, a, a computer terminology to cut and paste truth. Well, we can say, you know what, this part fits today, but this part doesn't. This part is okay, but this part is not. This part I agree with, this part I don't. Which Jesus himself, who's often used as proponent for that, speaks very clearly about. I didn't come to what? Abolish the law, but to fill it even to the crossing of a T and the dotting of an I. Every part of the Old Testament, and then we have this um, passage, which is very definitive about a particular issue. You, you can't just take away and say, I don't want to deal with this part of Scripture. This part is not true. When that happens, what is happening, exactly what verse 25 says. We're worshiping and serving the created rather than the creator. Do you know what the, the greatest trap, the, the greatest um, movement of idolatry is? The greatest symbol, the greatest object of our idolatry, do you know what it is? Self. And so if we just choose to believe what works for us, that's the sin that we've committed as well. We've chosen to serve and to worship ourselves above a holy and a loving God. Self and others, all the experts, all the people who are sharing you why, uh, with you why this is okay. They then, see, anytime you supplement, you supplant, excuse me, that, that you put on an equal plane, truth that is apart from God's word, and by the way, his spirit, um, those two things never contradict each other. I've heard that said too. 
Well, God has a new word for us today. Well, he might, but it has to be in agreement with his old word. That whenever that happens, you've taken the created and made it God. Again, his eternal power, his divine nature. Brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ, today in the world in which we live, people are seeking desperately for truth. You've been given an incredible, precious gift to give to them. The truth of God. The truth that changes and transforms people. And we should never exchange the truth of God for a lie. Now, I've been sharing a lot about truth in the sense of, of God's love is we're going to love enough to tell the truth. You know, I remember as a parent saying that repeatedly, giving the love sandwich. I love you, and then I would deal out the consequences, and then I would, after um, a response of the most innocent face that my children could muster, and the sweetest tone, if you love me, then you're not going to do this, right? Nope. I love you enough. I love you enough to do hard things. I love you enough to let you know God's truth and who it is that he's calling you to be. I want you to worship and I want you to serve him. I think that's where the pendulum has swung today. Former example, Jesus loves me. That grace is being elevated above truth. And they need to be in fullness on equal balance. But I do want to say this. I'll make sure that exactly what I just said is how it is that you live your lives. Because not only do we exchange the truth of God for a lie when we fail to proclaim truth, we also exchange the truth of God for a lie when we fail to dispense grace. And we fail to love people just like Jesus loves them. I was at a classist meeting about a year ago. And we were having a roundtable discussion about um, the controversy and the things that we're going through in our denomination. And we were having a conversation and um, I simply said, I believe that this practice of same-sex marriage, homosexuality, is wrong. God's Word speaks to it clearly. A person immediately shot um, at me and said this, then what you are saying to me is, and this is a quote, that you don't love me and I would not be welcome in your church. I don't get mad too angry, uh, uh, angry too often or mad, but I stood up. And I said, I am really, really upset with you and I'm angry because you said that. You have the audacity to tell me who I love and that I don't love you. I do. And I would welcome you or anyone else 
into the sanctuary of God because I love him in Jesus Christ. I might not love everything that everybody does, just like I sin as well. You know, our church name, Rehoboth, does mean room for all. That is true. That's who we need to be. We need to love anybody and everybody that walks through these doors. We love them unconditionally. And we love them enough to tell the truth. Might it be, brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ, hold tight to truth. Be wise. Hold tight enough so that you seek it, that you're hungry for it, that you desire to know it so that you'll live it. Might it be in God's holy and precious name. Will you pray with me? Lord God, you are a holy God and you call us to be holy as you are holy. Lord, you are a loving God and you call us to love like you love. Lord, the world wants to put those two things in opposition to each other. But that would be denying your eternal power and your divine nature and who it is that we're called to serve, to follow, and to love. So, Lord, work in us. Help us, O Lord, to understand what truth is and how it is that we need to live it out. Full of grace, forgiveness, and full of truth. Lord, help us not to give one at the expense of the other. But Lord, to love enough, whether it's the giving of grace or giving of truth, to change and transform lives, to do what our very purpose states, to win people for Christ and equip them to serve and to follow you. Might it be in your holy and your precious name I pray it.